Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club, and I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinot. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. This is episode 40-040. We'll be talking about CES and semantics related to productivity. So it's going to be an excellent show. And we're recording this on January 18th, 2021. Each week, we cover and discuss the productivity and technology news headlines of the week. And to do that, we invite two panelists to join us, two expert experts in the world of productivity and technology and organization uh, to talk about all the things in personal productivity and technology. Today we have Francis Wade and Trevor Lawbeer. And so Francis Wade is the author of Perfect Time-Based Productivity. He's the host of the upcoming Task Management and Time Blocking Virtual Summit in March 2021. He lives in um, he has lived in Kingston, uh, Jamaica since 2005. He's an avid content creator, newspaper columnist, and cyclist, of all things. Uh, welcome to Anything But Idle, Francis. Thanks, guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too. Uh, next up, we have Trevor Lawbeer. He is the founder of Day Optimizer, a web app that helps freelancers and entrepreneurs create a daily plan that reflects their priorities using guided workflows designed around neuroscientific principles. His, he splits his time between Asheville, North Carolina, and Berlin, Germany, and enjoys running, writing, and swing dancing. How fun. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you as well. So today is... Thesaurus Day. It also happens to be um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so hat tip to Dr. Martin King, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, the work he did in the civil rights movement. And uh, But on the productivity side of things, it happens to be Thesaurus Day. And so I thought what we would do is have a, a little bit of an opening conversation around semantics and really how words matter in productivity. And I'm really curious from everybody here on the panel what your thoughts are around how you structure your productivity system in words. Things like choosing the right verbs when you're writing out projects or actions or things of that nature. How do words really affect your own world? In my case, you know, I have a legend that I've created where I have particular words that mean certain things in my own personal productivity system. And I'm curious how you see the manifestation of words, some of your wordsmiths here uh, being authors and such. So, you know, and, and coders too, you know, you, words matter in, in coding, right? Uh, so, you know, variables matter. So how does, how does word, how do words matter in your world in personal productivity? I think when I'm trying to explain a new concept, um, I, I try to not use words that people already have heard and already know and have already defined in their minds. Um, that leads me to some strange language at times. Um, but I, I, I try to push the envelope so that I, I at least sound coherent, but I try to be provocative in some of the things I came up, I come up with. Like an article I wrote the other day, I had to, in the middle of it, I realized I was trying to ex explain a concept that I didn't have a word for. So I created a term. I can't remember what the term was, but it was some, something passive and something active. But that's the kind of thing I find myself doing, inventing. If they're not words, I find myself inventing phrases and then attaching a meaning to them and kind of hoping that they'd stick. So making things up is a mechanism for anchoring people in in memory because it's unique, it's novel, it'll help them kind of be drawn into the material. Uh, yeah, it was something to do with context. It was a, a, a concept I came up with that um, 
don't know if you want the longer explanation. <laughs> maybe, maybe not at this point. <laughs> it's all right, but anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> How about you, Trevor? Uh, yeah, I mean, words are critical for me. I, in fact, I was having a conversation um, with my partner earlier about how it's going to be hard to translate day optimizer because I've used specific words for specific meanings and trying to commit things uh, to, to translate things. So one example is using the word commitment. The original name of that was intent. Um, like so this idea that you take your task list for today and you you create a separate list. Well, that can just be a task list can be an intent list, but commit. Is just a much stronger, more powerful, psychologically more powerful word. And so I'm like looking for things like that. And then I'm also very interested in pattern languages and how do we create these, this terminology that people can use to like use those things in other contexts. So like I've have things like the jumpstart, you know, what a boomerang is and all these sort of terms, you know, just like Francis that can hook into someone's mind, give them a concept. And then let them really um, use that concept in some way. You know, language for me comes into two things. You know, I, as a bilingual coach, it is interesting, as you were saying, Trevor, how little some of these things translate. You know, you, the concept in English is completely clear, or or vice versa, and they don't translate. That make it, you know, a challenge. You know, you try to. I always say try to explain procrastination to a person who only speaks Spanish. Good luck. The word doesn't exist and the concept doesn't exist either. So uh, that that is going to be an impossible. But at the same time, you go to the other to the other side, to the Spanish, and there are certain concepts that you can define in English in one way. And then when you go to Spanish, you can define the same thing on different levels of emotions in two or three different ways. That make it a challenge to teach to write, to explain, and even to coach people on how to be more productive depending on which side of the fence they are. And, you know, I work with a lot of clients who want to change careers. And, yeah, they're good. The technical capabilities work with go to that new career, but when they go to apply for the jobs and all this, they fail and they cannot understand it. And and it's, again, that semantics, how... You explain, and you know, I always said, and Dr. Buck is not here today, but when you think of the school principal, for most people have never come to think, okay, what is a school principal when you extrapolate that person from the school system and now plug it in into business? And there is a series of capabilities this person has that will make match to certain things. But if you don't get into those semantics and you apply to that job and say, well, we are getting here. We need an account manager. What are you? Well, it wasn't school principal. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't fit because those semantics are really, really critical to make those things match. Yeah. And my thought, go ahead, go ahead, Trevor. Oh, I was going to, I was going to agree with that in, in that, um, particularly in the programming world, we've developed concepts the, the whole, again, going back to pattern languages, this whole architectural patterns that were published and that have names that, even if you haven't read the book, you now know that concept. You know, if I say facade, what that means, it's a specific pattern. It, you could use the same thing in another domain and it would just be completely meaningless to someone if you use that terminology. 
have two thoughts here when it comes to uh, the idea of using words in personal productivity. One is that there are many terms in personal productivity that lack a central definition for a concept, and that really creates just all kinds of collateral problems. Uh, some people call habit stacking the same as habit sequencing and the same as routines. And, you know, those terms then create all kinds of downstream problems. And I've tried as much as possible to start to define some of these things and say, no, only when we use this term do we mean this thing. And that way we can start to have the same conversation about the same things. And that can be just incredibly powerful for everybody in and talking around productivity, but also in the context of working in an organization. You have to have the same language if you're working in the same organization. And when you are trying to uh, uh, speak two different languages uh, about the same concepts, that just becomes uh, problematical uh, just generally. The, the second is when you have your own system, your own personal productivity system, consistency begets efficiencies. And so if you're able to have a set of a language that you are using with yourself, a, a set of words that you use when you're doing X and Y and Z, then you are much likelier to uh, surface those words when you're trying to capture, when you're trying to clarify, when you're trying to you know, write down those brainstorming concepts, and that speeds up production. And there's nothing like sitting and thinking, oh, you know what, I really don't know whether I should write down decide or commit or resolve to or... and all of that vacillation, all of that you know, indecision slows the process down. So, so just, uh, let's say, commit to the word commit, and then you're done. Right? You don't need to worry about those things. Now, if it appeals to you to use that word, word or it, it repels you from using um, you know, from, from getting to getting things done, then you know to change the word. Uh, but choose a set of words that make sense for you. There's probably about 15 or 20 verbs that I use in my entire productivity system. Why? The fewer words, the more likely I am to know exactly what those things mean, and it removes choice. And there is this paradox of choice uh, that we all have to be uh, mindful of, that the greater numbers of choices that we have, the lower likelihood that we can make a decision. And so that's those are my kind of general thoughts. Um, any final closing thoughts about semantics in personal productivity before we move on? I've got two two things here. Uh, so Art just uh, noticed, uh, added a comment saying it's not sharing a common glossary. And that is also a um, common technique when you're working remotely with a team. They say the first thing you should do when you're creating a remote team is let's come up with a glossary that says what those common terms mean. But the second thing related to the, to the personal productivity thing that you were saying you have specific words, the other benefit of that is you can then sort your list and everything that is like is grouped together. So if you use three different words or four different words for the same concept, you can't sort by that. If I'm saying, oh, I'm going to fix, I'm going to repair, I'm going to do this, then all those things are kind of split all around across your list. Using the similar terminology lets you search it easier, lets you sort it easier. It's a wonderful system, I think. Yeah, it's almost like tagging in a way, right? Because yeah. I'm capable of sorting in that in that sense. And I've I've used that mechanism for many, many years of being able to say, okay, all of my calls are started start with call. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna say phone, I'm not gonna say ring, I'm not gonna use any of those words, it's just gonna be call. And that way, yes, I could tag it calls, but I I also know that I can just see them all in normal search. And I can see that across many different lists and that kind of, so great, great uh, uh, mention of that as well, uh, Trevor. And so, and welcome Art, uh, glad to have you in the chat. Um, okay, that brings us to our stories of the week. Let's transition into our headlines. Augusto, 
What is our first story this week? Well, the first story are going to be related to to products and CES and fun. So the first one is some of the products or some of the best Apple-related products uh, that came into CES. And um, Mac Rumors came with a couple of articles, uh, correctable products, you know, the Satechi. Satechi, they produce, they have been producing really high-end, qual- good quality products uh, for uh, for Apple devices, iPads, and all that. So they they came with these five uh, products, same as Pioneer. You know, P- Pioneer came with their Apple Car or CarPlay, and it is interesting. I don't know. I came from a third world country where the first thing you do when you get a car is replace the stereo. Okay, why? I don't know. That's what you did at, at least when I was young. Okay, you get the car and you got the stereo. And in many cases, the stereo was more valuable than the car. But that's a story of another day. Okay, So Pioneer was a, the brand I like and it is really fun to see all that all that happen. So um, so um, there was a lot of things that came out of out of CES and I was in in a past life, you know, I was one of those who get to CES or to Vegas Sunday morning, you know, and leave Saturday at night uh, after meetings of meetings of meetings and products and products and you try to handle the meetings and the products and the announcements. And this year everything changed. Last year they did some remote because of the beginning of what we were understanding was the COVID this year was all fully remote. It was really different. And it is interesting to see a, an event that really mobilized a city. I, I mean, CES and the porn convention happened on the same week. So it is a packed city. And it is really interesting to see how these things are coming into play to be all virtual. So now we are getting more used to this, but what do you guys feel about all these remote things and all these remote massive conference? And do you guys are thinking this is going to stay or is going to go before we go and cover a lot of more products that we have in here? So I will say that I, I have been saying that things like CES would probably go virtual and stay virtual. I'm I'm thinking that I'm changing my my count on that now because feeling the the um, almost like cabin fever of the people around me wanting to get back into a real environment with other people. I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a whiplash there. And once that happens, I think we're going to settle back down on the pendulum to some middle hybrid where we'll see more and more events go virtual because the technology gives us the capability. And we'll see uh, some of those larger events, CES, uh, Mobile World Conver- Congress, uh, other large-scale uh, product and technology conferences, and, of course, other you know, ATD. We're going to see more of those be in person because that's a networking opportunity as much as it is a a money generating opportunity for those organizations that fund that that host those larger events uh that being the case what what do you all think francis don't agree um i i think that that i think when when poorly done or not very well done the networking is not as well, it, it's, it's, it's not as good as it could be if you're alive. However, if you do it well, so if you have a community like Mighty Networks, 
And if you create connections between people that ha start happening before the conference and continue after the conference, all in the same space, I think the value of that far exceeds anything you can do in person. So I think the, the, the technology of delivering large-scale online conferences is going to have to improve. But once it improves and gets to a point that people start realizing that there are things that you can do online that you cannot do in person, like meet many people at once, then I think they're going to stay. They're going to stay virtual. And, and I went to ATD last year with 10,000 people. And I don't want to say anything uncharitable, but it was just like a, it was a madhouse. <laughs> it was like a ton of people, everybody rushing from one room to the next. And I don't think they made the most of a live conference, to be honest. So I think they didn't do the best that they could. But I think those things could be amazingly remedied if you do them online and you do them well. Yeah, so good, I, I, good good event management creates great events, or great event management creates great events. I think that that means the same in a digital environment as much as in a physical in-person environment. And I have been to physical in-person events that could not be replicated in a virtual environment, and I'm glad that I went to them in person. Uh, today, I think that there's a rarity that I couldn't experience something very similar, not to that level, but very similar in a virtual experience, and that a lot of those are going to go that way, purely for the convenience. I don't have to fly. I don't have to spend uh, spend the costs of, of travel, room board, and otherwise. And viruses. Yeah, there, there's a, a health factor now as well, so that's probably going to create some uh, travel hesitance uh, on, on the part of those participants. But overall, I think that there will be, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm standing by my statement, I think that we will have a, a, a whiplash effect where those people like yeah. me who feel a little bit of cabin fever are going to go back to live events, and then we're going we're gonna to quickly see that move back toward the center where we're going to see more and more either hybrid or virtual events because of that. I really do think that we're going to see more established virtual event platforms also get better, right? And mm -hmm. and, and that, I think, is going to really help to elevate uh, the level of these kinds of, of in-person meetings. I mean, look at where we are right now in terms of technology. We couldn't do this uh, just a few years ago, and now here we are, you know, connecting from four different locations and streaming to, you know, uh, multiple platforms uh, just with trivial mm -hmm. technology it seems trivial to do now it is trivial to do now which is just remarkable so can i talk about the air things now <laughs> the what the air things, the air things. Uh, go so so the next topic so, unless anybody has any thoughts about uh uh virtual events uh the air things is a an air um uh, an air um, uh, sensor technology. So AirThing sensors, uh, we have one here in my house, and they're rather pricey, and they detect all kinds of uh, anomalies in the air, from radon to uh, mon carbon monoxide and all kinds of other things. And uh, they have added, uh, in the newest AirThings at CES, the ability for it to analyze the risk of indoor virus spread. And so uh -huh. this is really remarkable technology, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how this 
plays into it. And I'm I'm wondering, is this a software update or is this a physical product with an additional sensor inside of the Air Things? I'm I'm presuming it has an additional sensor, which means that the overpriced sensor we have at home now is obsolete. (laughs) Um, But but this is phenomenal. I think this can really revolutionize a lot of small businesses. And again, you know, that's in in the space in which I work uh, most days in economic development and working with businesses who are in a place where they don't know whether or not they're their place of business is safe and being able to have something like the air things uh you know on an ongoing basis testing the air and telling you whether or not there is fire spread is a remarkable uh, achievement i'm really looking forward to seeing how that kind of plays out you know unless that is a really expensive software update you just make with the idea cry a thousand of salespeople. I know, I know. It's better than the lasso, which is a, a recycling container that's like $3,500, uh, So, <laughs> which I'm not buying. I'm not buying an in-home recycling container that, you know, does whatever it does. It, like, removes labels, and it, it steam cleans the, the, the containers, and then it, you know, does all kinds of intelligent sorting and grinds the products up so that you can uh, ship them off to the appropriate recycling facility. Uh, not for $3,500. I can, I can just use the existing infrastructure that we have. <laughs> but yeah. Well, the next product we have is a ThinkBook uh, from Lenovo that it was a really interesting thing. Again, I part of my past life was as a salesman, and this computer or this laptop has the, the regular laptop and the back of the screen has a screen that I'm going to presume because you could not find the information that you could use to do presentations, that you can share, obviously, your calendar when you have the laptop closed so you can use it as a, you know, e-paper, e-ink screen on the outside. But I'm sure that you should have the ability to use it to do presentations or show your screen or share your screen with that. Military grade, it really looks awesome. I'm not a PC world. I thank you very much. Have zero interest on a PC ever again, but I need to admit that that concept was really, really nice. I, or, I, I saw it, but and I'm a, I'm a big ThinkBook user, but I don't know. It, it just seemed like a convenient versus productivity, one of those things. It's like nice, but you know, I, I, I was. I could, I just couldn't imagine a, a sort of a real solid need for it in the real world, other than the whiz factor, you know, the the genius factor. I don't know. How do you, what do you think? You see, I don't know. When when I, I remember when the first um, tablet PC came out, that people could not understood why you care to flip the screen and turn it into. And for me, as a salesperson at that time, and we're talking about fifteen years ago, that turned to be into one of my best tools because I moved from. One, having hiding behind the laptop, okay, into a conference, because now I can switch it, have the same thing, but don't have the laptop to obstruct. Two, being able to flip my screen and show the person the same thing, even live, even in the presentations. So I think these technologies, yeah, it can be convenient, obviously, but use it properly, it can be an incredible tool, assuming you can do the things that we are sharing. Mm-hmm. So the next one is a military-grade Chromebook. And, and yes, we talk here a lot about Chromebooks. Why? I don't know. Maybe because they're coming all about, like, I'm an Apple guy. But this is interesting because, at least to my knowledge, 
this is the first time I hear about such thing, about such high-end military-grade durability and all this on a Chromebook that shows all how much the Chromebook has making advance into those high-end markets that are looking for products like this. Uh, we may need Ray to cover more into into this, into the Chromebooks. He knows a lot more than than I. But that, that was really, really interesting. The CX nine, and and what they're bringing, really a high end product. Well, I think this is a play at getting government contracts. I mean, you know, the the reality is it's just it's similar to the way in which Dell and other uh, manufacturers uh, back in the '90s and early 2000s they went after. Setting up these, you know, high durable uh, laptops to be able to put into the hands of military officers who wanted to have something that was, you know, macho looking uh, to be in the military. Uh, you know, they're going to spray paint it with uh, camo, and it becomes uh, saleable, marketable to that audience. And that's just a reality factor. Now, of course, there, I, I think there is a value to having a very tough laptop in a lot of different environments. Say that you're a, an ironsmith or a carpenter. I know art. You know, has a has a woodworking shop. It would be nice to have the laptop out there, knowing that it wasn't going to get you know uh, punctured, dust. destroyed, or or dust those kinds of things in uh, in use. So uh, is is uh, is really going to be uh, a, the case for? Uh, <laughs> Art is noting here that military grade is needed for ten year olds. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe your ten year olds, but yeah, my kids have zero chance of getting a military grade. But, but how does it work? <laughs> But there are definitely use cases outside of the military, but I see this as being set up a, a, a model for being able to show that to the military that these devices are strong enough in, in physical form factor and powerful enough in CPUs to be able to, to do stuff in the military. And, and I think that's a really um, strong market that has not yet been tapped into in the Chrome world, and this gives them that chance at it. So good on them for, for doing that. Well, why Chrome versus a tablet, though? Why why? Why, why not just use a rugged tablet? In other words, you know, if you're well, you're in a tank and you're firing at the enemy, yeah, you probably don't have a lot of time for, to no, do no, all no, this kind of. If you work for the Pentagon, you can't have a screen that can't be closed up and the screen not be visible at times, right? You want to be able to, for security purposes, not have you know, like you can't just leave the tablet laying face up uh, and you walk into uh, the situation room. You know, these things have to be closed and physically, you know, sealed in some way, shape or form. And they want to be able to lock those. So in those cases, you know, it'll probably have some kind of locking mechanism so that the clamshell closes over the keyboard so that someone can't actually uh, look at the keys uh, and see. Like there are all kinds of, of security uh, mechanisms put in, into place into a laptop form factor that a tablet would uh, be susceptible to. You know, I can see your fingerprint touches for your your screen lock on on the tablet screen. Things of that nature that need to be thought through. And it just turns out the laptop factor is just a little bit more secure in that capacity. Uh, so uh, I maybe it's not more secure, but it is has that appearance. And of course, it's what's pe- what people are used to, right? Like if if people are used to having laptops, they're giving them a form factor that they're used to carrying around. Uh, and are capable of utilizing in that sense. Um, Art is noting here, military-grade hardened VPN and the power wash features uh, make it a a very useful tool. Absolutely. That power wash feature within Chrome OS is very powerful. It just takes five seconds uh, to hit power wash. 
and then you uh, to get to Power Wash and click it, and then it basically purges the entire operating system and puts on a, a, a fresh version of it. Uh, so that's what Power Wash feature is in Chrome OS. And anytime you have a problem with your Chromebook, just Power Wash it, log back in, and you're good to go. So it's uh, not the same as Microsoft or Mac. Uh, <laughs> being able to just Power Wash a Chromebook is so, so powerful, and that can be very useful out in the field when things are critical, right? You need to get your, your system back up and running after whatever might have happened. A power wash can be um, the, the difference between uh, life and death. So um, good on that. All right, next up, what are some of the other highlights from CES this year? Oh, well, one of the other products we're going to talk is the Netgear uh, Wi-Fi 6 Nightgear, or Nighthawk is that they call. That's their power high-end next gear thing. And aside of the fact that um, as everybody is trying to go miniature in these devices, Netgear has decided to increase the size so everybody know um, who they are. You know, um, well, it's it's without a doubt, you know, one of the best um, or considered one of the best routers. I, I was looking for the price and I can't find it right now, but I, I had a little bit of a shocker price when, when I saw it the first time, um, when it came into my attention. But anyways, um. But it's a Wi-Fi 6E router. It is. I mean, that's amazing. The Nighthawk RAXE 500. Uh, what is, what is the name of the Star Wars flying vehicle that it looks like? It looks like. <laughs> Death Star. Like uh, no, 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 no. Uh, we have a we have a Star Wars expert. On this no, right no. That, it is true. It is true that when it's open, it looks like like Darth Vader, um, Darth Vader machine. But no, it is. It will not. It will not make me buy it because of that. I'm so sorry. Well, either way, I, I think that what we are seeing in the midst of the, the pandemic is an understanding from people that in order to be more productive, you have to have better uh, connectivity. And yeah. uh, and so that's not just for you, but your, your children who might be homeschooling or remote schooling at the present moment. And there are just a necessity for everybody in the house to have multiple connected devices and to have consistent uh, strength in that, uh, in that, in that sense. And so uh, Wi-Fi 6 is a great step in that direction uh even though the wi-fi 6 protocol i think you know is a uh, a benefit in a security perspective uh the the real benefits i think in wi-fi 6 is the uh just the robust uh new um you know capabilities of it to to carry multiple um you know signals and really traffic those in an intelligent way and so it's good to see the first ones out on the market and of course we'll hopefully see more and more of these come to market as uh, a one comment in that though is that you need a device to be able to connect to it and that's most devices probably won't like i'm actually still on wi-fi 5 i've got like a uh, um a netgear router and i've got a gigabyte connection to the house but i can only get 300 megabit to my computer via wi-fi and we can have we can both be streaming but realistically 300 megabits plenty of speed for anything you need to do, right? Like 300 megabits is a huge uh, a speed factor. And so I'm we can both, we, we can. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I've, got, I've got like a year old Mac and that's all I can get, right? Because I'm, I only have like, I don't know whether it's two or four or six antennas. I don't have enough antennas in my Mac to go with the current router, which is like the Wi-Fi 5. So buying a Wi-Fi 6 router, you have to be like, completely up to date on your tech, I think, to support that. So 
um, it's probably good for them to release it now, but it'll be probably several years before right. you can effectively use that in the house. I would I would agree with you. And there's there's a, a factor which is I I always say buy the buy the newest router when you're ready to. I mean, if you don't have no reason to upgrade, don't upgrade for no reason. But when yeah. you are ready to upgrade, upgrade and buy the latest version because by the time you sunset that, say you buy a Wi-Fi six router this year you know it'll be another five to seven years before you replace that and by then we'll be at nine right so i don't know what we'll be at you know but we'll be several versions forward and uh and so you you kind of want to hedge your bets that you get the latest technology to have the longest longevity in, in essence um in that sense yeah. so i i fully hear you trevor well, since you create a nightmare for the people of night gear you know <laughs> i under we understand that the Imperial shuttle, shuttle was what Darth Vader picked, and the Emperor sometimes travel on it. But nothing, no good adventure came out of this, out of there. <laughs> Thankfully, I have no idea what that means, and uh, I'm a Trekkie, and uh, I, I can't, I can't speak to that. But it does give 10 gigabytes per second over Wi-Fi in a fully accessible environment on that device. So I can see at some point uh, really upgrading, uh, you know, to it with the future upgrades uh, to, you know, devices and being able to s support that. And of course, you know, th the other devices are backwards compatible, so they'll be on Wi-Fi 5 and otherwise. And, you know, that's fine. But to be able to have a device that can do 10 gigabyte downloads, wow, no, just amazing uh, to, to uh, 10 gigabytes per second uh, downloads just seems uh, egregious. Well, as you said, Trevor, you really, you really don't need that. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Okay, let's move on. Well, uh, Microsoft then is your next Microsoft uh, Surface may not be compatible with that yet. But hey, it's announced in March. <laughs> the Surface Pro 7, it's out. Um, and I don't know. I I had one um, Surface at some point, And they're doing a really good – Microsoft is doing a good job on the hardware there. I you know, if I will need to get a PC, probably will be that again. I love the form factor of the tablet, but I think they have been trying to really do a solid work with with those machines. But there is one thing that they add to this one that is interesting, and they add an SSD storage that make it removable. That's awesome. The tab, the the pro that I had, or my mother in law broke and then you lost everything because the machine is so compact that you cannot open and work with anything of that. So the fact that you can now take your hard drive with you if the machine die, put it on the new one or at least save the information is a big thing. It's a big step in in the right direction, at least in my opinion. Is that a standard SSD? Oops, good question. Is that Sorry. a standard SSD format? The, does it come? Oh out? no, I'm sure it's a custom made. It's a custom made. The specs okay. doesn't doesn't answer that question, but I'm willing to make a bad dollar to a donut that it is a specific one. Yeah, because the, the picture looks. I mean, it, it looks very small and very unique looking. The picture in the article. That if it's a removal SSD, you're going to have a. a not proprietary SSD, but a proprietary slot in which it can go into. Uh, so you would have to mm -hmm. buy a form factor that fit it. I, I would, mm -hmm. I would presume that there's not like a interchangeable case that you can't swap out the SSD without Doesn't more like work than uh, than not. But you know, if you're if you're a DIYer, you might be able to do it. I don't know. Uh, so I, I'm not the electronics engineer in my family. So 
I'm not going to try it. But uh, yeah. So, all right. Next up. So next up comes from Samsung, and they are partnered with uh, Samsung Whisk are partnered with Tastemade to help people with um, meal planning. It is, you know, it has been something that has happened in every family around the world who discovered a year ago, oh, we need to meal plan, and especially at the beginning with the restaurants closed, you know, and how do you do this and how do you do it more effectively? And even that now there are a lot more places open that you can take, take out. This is still uh, something that people discover. You know, I, we laugh at the beginning of the pandemic when people were looking, how do you make bread and these things? But at the same time, there is an art out of that that a lot of people discover and enjoy and will like to keep it to a certain extent. So Samson West are partner to help you doing a much better job getting into communities, helping you to continue in this, creating a family hub, connect your refrigerator with your tablet, with the meal planning so you can do everything together. And hopefully that refrigerator will order an Instacart so you don't need to even need to worry about that. But but this really shows the, the productivity component of being able to have a connected world. And Samsung made this statement in implicitly in uh, the Samsung Unpack, the Galaxy Unpacked event last week. Was that last week? Yes, last week. And uh, they, they made that they they made that statement that they they um, you know showing the the smart car and the connected car and the fact that they have all of these other home based appliances that are connected within the Samsung world. Your your phone and your other small electronics are capable of being a part of this larger ecosystem and meal planning being something that can be automated in this sense can only be done when you have all of these di- different uh, disparate. Uh, tools connected to each other, and they're showing a first case, uh, you know, uh, kind of um, uh, expose of how this can be done, kind of an example of how this can be done. And this is really going to be interesting to see whether or not is is Samsung going to find challengers in GE and others in partnership with the uh, big four tech and whether or not they can actually do that. I'm, I'm really curious to see whether or not they can get to these end results and which competitors will want to solve which problems. It seems like Google with Waymo has distanced itself. The Apple car concept is probably a dud. Uh, what are the first IoT solutions that are really integrated across the entire kind of lifestyle workflow for people? Those are the things that really help us in our routines productively, and they need to figure those pieces out. And once they do, that first great example is going to be the winner in that in that market for probably the next decade or so. And so I'm really excited to see Samsung doing this. They have the infrastructure, right? They make everything from, uh, I, I always joke, they make everything from phones to toilets. So uh, they, have, they have the opportunity to really cover that gamut. And, uh, you know, even the Samsung refrigerator that it's got a camera inside, you know, scanning everything inside of it. And it's got a wonderful display on the outside. So you can see inside and do all kinds of interesting machine learning. There's some power there that I really feel can be useful to people uh, in that in that way. So. Oh no, no, I'm really excited to be able to say to text, "Hey, let's use this recipe," and the thing will tell me if we have it, not have it, order whatever need to be ordered, and stop on the way home and pick it up in the grocery. I think I'm living for for that moment where where I can throw that thing, you know, and and get it done. Uh, that will be fantastic, and 
I, for one, like like you said, I'm really excited about this and see how this is improving and how, you know, for us, we, given I I may be the geek in the house, so we I start moving at least the things that that I cook into digital many years ago. And I love that I can go on Saturday and select the recipes and the software that I use called Paprika Manager. And it adds, if I add a quarter of the milk in one and a quarter of the milk in the other one, give me a list that says half cup of milk. I don't need to even do the math or anything. And it is fantastic to look that you have what you need to plan for the week or for the dinner or for whatever. So I'm, for one, super excited. Well, there was only two things I wanted to talk about in this segment on CES, the the air things, <laughs> and now this product. Uh, what is our final uh, product that we're going to be talking about from CES? Well, the, our final product is $130 Liberty Air 2 Pro from Anchor. And Anchor, mm-hmm. again, like Stetchy, has been known for their quality products, and this is their response to the AirPods. Um I'm really curious. I don't know if I will pay 130 over them for, instead of the iPods, but but I'm really paying attention to to this product. They they are known for really high quality one, so it will be curious to see. Well, uh, nobody can say that I. Um... I have a lack of headphones in my life. Uh, I have I have headphones that within just hands reach, I have probably more headsets than most people have had in their lifetime. I have ones that kind of hang out uh, for almost every purpose in my life. Um, that's just what I can reach in, within like a few seconds uh, time. So that's uh, about five. Uh, and the uh, and I've probably got maybe seven, eight. Nine. I've got about ten in within hands reach, and um, I actually have the the prior um, sound cores, and these are not the sound core pros, and I'm I'm very happy with the sound core pros, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to the sound core uh, uh, two, uh, the pro twos, uh, to see how they. Um, have kind of leveled up. This one has a physical uh, charger plug. Uh, this one, obviously, I'm presuming is uh, wireless uh, charging. And the uh, the external mics on it, uh, you know, having, I forget how many uh, mics are on the outside of that, but there are, there are more than 10 uh, microphones on the outside of that device being able to, one, do uh, active noise noise cancellation when you're when you're in an environment that has noise while still giving you clear call quality. I'm going to be really looking forward to seeing how those match up against the Samsung uh, Galaxy Buds Pro. Was that what they announced yesterday? Were they the Buds Pro or Buds 2? Either way, whatever they announced last week, uh, in competition with uh, my Google Pixel Buds 2 and the new uh, uh, Anker Soundcore uh, Pro 2, because I think that we're going to have some really, really great... I'm sorry, I keep calling it Soundcore Liberty Air 2 Pro. Uh, could they make the name longer? Uh, but the uh, the two pros, I think, are going to be are going to be really, really um, a great product. Anker has been putting out some really good headsets. I'm looking forward to to trying them out. So, and you can't beat that. $130 uh, for high-end, uh, you know, headsets, and they're they're going to go up against the AirPods uh, Pro, and I think they're going to probably do just as well or better than them in in you know out in the wild. No, no, I agree. They, I agree. That that's the reason I brought it. They they are like Satechi. There are two brands that my experience has been. Super positive. Way. Any final thoughts about CES, gentlemen, before we hit our first break? 
No? Good, wonderful. And so with that, uh, let's take a break and hear from our sponsor this week, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club. We'll be back after the break. While working in person may be normal for you, it's unlikely your coworkers are as interested in being productive as you are. Or working remotely or from home can be isolating. And there's something powerful about being with productive people, even virtually, that helps you be more engaged. If a flavor of these sounds familiar, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club is for you. Coworking Space is a virtual work community designed to help members be more effective and efficient in their work and personal lives. At its core, we provide goal tracking and host focused action sessions throughout the week for accountability and camaraderie. We also host social and networking events and fireside expert chats, as well as member discounts for other programs, products, and services. Visit anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to learn more. We have a special offer going on that ends on January 31st, 2021, that gives you a month of free trial and 50% off the membership rate. Coworking Space lives inside Personal Productivity Club, a digital community for personal productivity enthusiasts, so you can find people who use methods and tools you do too. Again, head over to anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to see how Coworking Space can help you be more productive. Get the special offer before January 31st. And now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle. Uh, before the break, we were covering CES 2021 in its virtual capacity, and now we're going to cover our stories of the week this week. And so, Augusto, what's our first story? Well, first story is Samsung Galaxy Upcycle is going to start turning their old phones into IoT devices, and they are going to start keeping certain updates so people can use their old hardware for other purposes, you know, turning your that old phone into a security camera or turn it into a baby monitor, or some people has turned their old tablets, all the iPads into recipe managers and those kind of things. And I think this is awesome. Samsung has made a big deal about this idea and they call it Galaxy Upcycle. But I think really every manufacturer should join their version of this and allow their users to keep using these devices instead of polluting with them. Yeah. Forget the, we're going to leave the adapter out of your new brand new high-end phone box. And how about you actually put in some real, uh, you know, uh, capabilities of these devices to allow them to extend their lives in these different paradigms. I think this is a fantastic program. Uh, it's akin to what Google is doing now by purchasing uh, the Neverware cloud-ready product line mm -hmm. and allowing you to be able to re in, you know, reinvigor what our old devices into Chromebooks uh, so that, you know, you can hand it off to the, to the niece or nephew or to, to a young child and they could just have a wonderful uh, device uh, to run with. Uh, I, I see a lot of opportunity here and I think that a lot of these companies should also be supporting whether that be uh, you know, Raspberry Pi Foundation or other organizations to be able to bring uh, more uh, Linux devices online by virtue of writing them over. Uh, they can put their own, you know, bloatware on top of it uh, so that they're able to better have uh, a little bit of control because, you know, that's what this is all about. You know, you put a Samsung Galaxy, uh, you know, upcycled, uh, you know, uh, software onto their system. Uh, that allows them to continue to control 
you. And, uh, and so to some extent, that's what it's all about. But at the same time, it's helping to reduce environmental impact. And I'm, I'm all for that. So good stuff there. Yeah, that's awesome. So then our next news is uh, Biogen uh, announced on January 11 that they're launching a new Apple Watch study to um, see if they can detect declining con- uh, cognitive health using the Apple Watch. And, you know, there is no doubt that the Apple Watch or the Android Watch or, you know, uh, are an incredible productivity tool. You know, when I got my first one, I remember people asking me what it is. And I say, that's the problem. The problem is my watch to this day don't do one thing that I can tell you. Well, it's because this feature that I used to think, but it do a bunch of little things that make me through the day so much productive, you know, from waking me up in the morning without waking my wife so she don't get mad at me at seven in the morning. Hey, just that is worth the price of admission, okay? Like many other things during the day. But now I have participated in a couple of these studies and I think these are an incredible way to for them to collect the data, to analyze the data and to hopefully help a lot of people with their health, in this case, cognitive health. Yeah, so I'll say on one side, I'm I'm really excited about the study because I think this is going to be helpful for humankind. On the other side of it, everybody needs to be aware that, think about it, there is a, a computer on your wrist that is collecting so much data about you that it's capable of uh, recognizing cognitive decline, which is, you know, usually requires some cognitive inventory uh, administered by a medical professional. And so this is remarkable. You know, multiple CES products this year that came out um, are giving the capability of having a medical grade, uh, uh, what do you call it, EKG, uh, you know, or, or ECG device uh, that you can use at home. Uh, also remarkable uh, advances in technology there, but also recognize that there is a trade off. You need to re- remember that there's a, a data privacy and security trade off with all of these tools and uh, but I but I think I think it's remarkable science and I, I look forward to seeing whether the study actually uh, births uh, a finding that they can actually do it if they can uh, that's that's just simply remarkable and will help so many people because you think you know if you have a, a family member and you know they're not tracking this data about themselves and they are going through that circumstance you now can have maybe early warning signs uh, just like these ECGs and EKGs where someone's taking their uh, their heart rate you know they can uh, tell whether you have tachycardia or, or is it bradycardia whatever it is um, before uh, they ever actually ex- exhibit real symptoms uh, they can do that kind of stuff and have early prevention which is just phenomenal all right cool next up what's up so our next news and chat comes Microsoft chat. Yep, Google and the Microsoft chat. Um, it's a it's a little video with the accessibility uh, from Microsoft and Google talking about how this chat and and how these companies can come and really let's move on into you do this and you do this and let's come up into how we can do it better together. And, and it is, even if it's just for the marketing purpose because of the time of the year, I is still naive enough that hope this lasts for more than a month of the year and they really come to the table and continue working into that. So that way we can make it happen 
into a long term. We see a lot more collaboration and really a more platform agnostic productivity. I think these design principles are really important and it's really great to see them working together to make that happen. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally for it. I think that what we have to recognize is that we need to be productive in different phases of our life with different levels of ability. Uh, if I go to get, you know, cataract surgery when I'm 65 or 70, hopefully that's as I can wait that long in life. And, uh, and then I go for that. I will be uh, visually disabled during that period of time. Uh, there are periods of your life when you have uh, some different ability, and there are periods of life when you have perhaps permanent uh, disability. Uh, but we shouldn't uh, limit our technology and certainly the design principles behind that technology uh, by virtue of uh, thinking about it from just those folks who are permanently uh, disabled. We should be thinking about it from an all abilities and potentially temporary uh, disability perspective. And that way, it's just always inclusive by design. And that's kind of what Microsoft has been doing for several years. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see their inclusive design principles. They have a whole uh, site dedicated to it. And I haven't quite looked at how, what Google's been doing, but it's glad to see Google uh, uh, as a partner there. And uh, yeah, I just think that we have to remember that, you know, if I break my foot tomorrow, I still want to be productive. Uh, you know, convalescence is good, uh, but I also want to be productive in that time frame. And if I happen to break my hand, I still want to be able to have voice input with the device uh, so that I'm capable of continuing to be productive, even if I don't have use of a limb. Uh, there's so many ways in which we can be more productive by taking advantage of these. And I know that I always look, Augusto, a great example is you talking about uh, replacing uh, e-ink displays with your iPad by enabling some of the accessibility features on your iPad. Uh, these are these are components that we have built into these devices, and the assistive technologies can actually make us more productive in uh, different ways. So we need to uh, remember that these devices have these kinds of tools. I use Microsoft Speech Recognition all the damn time. Uh, I love it. I love being able to talk to, to Windows 10. I love being able to uh, navigate the device in that sense. And, uh, you know, when I'm by myself uh, and I can talk to myself, <laughs> it's great. Uh, you know, I just talk to the computer and it does what I want it to do. And um, those things are really powerful. And it wouldn't come if we weren't thinking about this from uh, a, a perspective of giving people of all abilities uh, all the capacity to be able to compute. And so I'm very, very much uh, a fan of that. All right, moving right along. So the next news come from Google and Google or Alphabet uh, employees are going to have their union and the union is going to happen. And that's as far as I'm willing to cover the news because I have it's it's an important news, but I don't know enough of the details and the information, not the care to find out, to be honest with you. But the next news is kind of sad. Another surprise, uh, Gazelle is shutting down their mail trading businesses. And, and I'm not surprised because the price between used to be that you could sell your device, put a little bit of money um, and buy the new one and, you know, years ago. And that gap between buying new versus buying used is every year smaller and smaller and smaller. So, I'm not surprised that they get a squish out of that business. You know, they, Apple had discovered, uh, as Google, as others, that it was a great business to be. Uh, now they list you the device so they can get the device back and repurpose and, and do all this. So it was to be expected that that was going to happen. 
Yeah, so Gazelle had the ability for you to mail products into them in the process of selling in a, you know, selling to another. Was it selling to another person or were mm-hmm. they purchasing from you? So they purchased from you. Yeah, and so they, they are leaving the kiosks that exist in physical imprints. Uh, those will still exist after this mail-in component is shut down. And so I, I don't know who's going to malls to trade in their, their phones but uh, you know during a pandemic. But presumably they think that once people go back to uh, in-person retail, uh, you know, by and large, then those in-person kiosks will continue to do their job. Uh, but you, you're absolutely right. I think that you know, this is just the the way of of the market. You know, we we now are much more comfortable with buying new, and the uh, the market for being able to uh, buy used is now trivial because of eBay and other platforms like that. You don't need a gazelle in order to be able to make that happen because we've pretty much figured that out in these other tools that exist. I'm I'm curious if this is kind of akin to uh, I I don't know if Square Trade or other uh, kind of phone insurance type uh, products like that are still around and working and operable. Uh, but I'm curious how that whole market really plays into uh, Gazelle's lack of you know, kind of strength here now. Yeah, I think, I think that market was before, but what changed is how easy is to get the new phone from directly the manufacturer or directly from the phone company, you know, it used to be, you go to get the phone and, you know, now you go, you can get a phone for 10 bucks a month. I mean, why buy used? You know, I, I, not only that, you can now get, you know, with any, almost any phone or manufacturer, you know, you get into their, okay, I'm going to pay you $30 or $15 or $20 for the rest of my life. And every 12 months I go turn my thing and you give me a new phone. So that has made a lot more people playing into that game that then Gazelle gets choking. Plus, the the cost or the price that these devices are selling is not as low as it used to be. Part part of that, because what you are describing, you can sell it to Amazon, you can sell it to eBay, you can sell it to others that will give you on the exchange. Even Target now, uh, here in the US, you can go when, when the new devices come in and they give you, they buy your old device. So, there is a market that has been cannibalized by everybody. Yeah, I'll note that Square Trade, which I referenced earlier, is a kind of phone insurance uh, program, and uh, they were purchased, looks like, by Allstate. Uh, and so, uh, as little as five dollars per month, though they have a family plan that's four phones for twenty dollars per month and covers all kinds of of you know catastrophe to uh, your phones and includes a a, a screen repair uh, facility as well. So um, that's that's pretty good. I I thought they had gone the way of the dinosaurs uh, and didn't didn't exist any longer, but it looks like they're alive and well and still doing their thing. I mean, I thought that most people would just go to iFixit or another kind of uh, retail outlet like that and get their phone screens fixed there. But if you have a phone plan that's paying for it, uh, that's pretty uh, a a insurance plan of some kind that's paying for it. That's pretty pretty good. All right. Moving on. The next news, Apple, it's hinting that they will have new service development. They talk about Mail Plus, Podcast Plus, and other things. They just announced and released at the end of last year a bunch of service. Um, and I'm going to, to bring my sore eye to this. Okay, how about you fix... Uh, you know, mail alias and other things on the current mail application before you sell me the plus concept. 
uh, my sword thing has come out. But but they have you know done the services. They have done the Apple Plus that they actually there is a news also recent that they extend the free trial uh, to to middle of the year for for the people. The extender initially was until December, then they did February, and now they did June. Uh, but Apple has been seeing some success with the Fitness Plus and the News Plus, uh, and now their new Apple One, where you can go into a lower price and get all the services at once. Let's see what happened with that. I have no doubt that more services will come. That's what Apple do, and that's what they do good. So what are your gentlemen's perspective on premium services on top of the Apple ecosystem? Is that a is that a good direction for people's productivity? Not... I don't know how it is for the productivity perspective, but I would say that Apple appears to be doing a content plus premium strategy rather than a feature plus strategy. So like when I read that article um, and it was like this group hypothesizing what services they might reach, mail plus didn't resonate for me because it's like, well, that's a feature thing. If you're going to add more features, you're going to have an outcry from users saying, why do I need to pay for those new features? Whereas the podcast plus makes sense because now I can offer you premium channels that no one else has access to. And that model I feel Apple feels more comfortable with. So the the content plus I think is where Apple's going to head with a lot of their premium services. Yeah, I know that I'm I'm a little bit weird on the subject only because it's like Apple has had this kind of stranglehold on the podcast world with the directory. And to be quite honest, they've done really well by podcasting by hosting this directory they haven't monetized it in any way shape or form uh you know anything else like that but i almost have a knee-jerk reaction to the idea that they're going to somehow then step in and monetize it uh in some way that's going to be uh detrimental to podcasts uh but i i don't i don't think they will i think they'll actually do a good job uh but you know there is a kind of like a a heart palpitation because so much of podcasting depends upon still depends upon the apple podcast directory if Apple is smart, what they'll do is they'll actually make it more of a, not quite a marketplace, but basically by monetizing it, they actually allow people to monetize their own podcasts in some way in a similar, you know, like almost like YouTube. So it's like, okay, if you go into and put yourself onto podcast plus, then we'll give you some of the revenue stream from the podcast plus. And I think that would be very compelling for some podcasters to try to monetize their podcasts. In that certainly way. those with very large audiences, certainly yeah. you know, some celebrities and those kinds of things, but even some some smaller podcasters, I think, could really benefit from that. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And people are hungry for content. I mean, we're, we we see that now uh, by and large. And uh, Podcast Plus would be a, a type of content that would be easy to produce because it's not it's not uh, it can work around COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, it, it really is capable of being done in an environment that doesn't require not. Not that every podcast doesn't require in-person recording, uh, but you can do a lot more uh, virtually than you can in person. Yeah, and and I like that. Into the, oh, sorry, sorry. Go, Trevor. Go. I was going to say to tie back into the productivity thing is a lot of times the pro the premium content is a higher quality content. So if you are trying to be productive and trying to limit what content you consume it can be more efficient to just subscribe to the premium service, use the premium content and not get the, all the free content, which tends to be like anyone can jump on. So it's a little bit, you have to sift through a lot more to find the gems where in theory, the premium content will give you the gems. So it actually aids your productivity in that way. Right. Unless it's Netflix and then they have not solved that problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you make a really good point about content, not feature. 
and I and I and I think they have done reasonable way in there. You know, you see the fitness part. You know, you you cannot get the content, but you get all the other features with the with the Apple devices. So I think you made a really great point in there that if they continue that strategy, even even to Mail Plus, whatever that means, to get more content, not more features for the extra, they may be pretty successful at it. All right, moving right along in the news. Next story. Well, apparently your Hey G, now you can going to go Hey G, turn on guest mode, and I'm, my house do not have G's devices, but I understand that you can save the voice so that the the G knows who is talking about, so it can do certain features and certain things, certain actions based on that. And now you will be able to turn on guest mode for certain people to come. So that was going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's going to, of course, shut off different uh, capabilities because it is in guest mode. So it won't have access to things like calendar or uh, sending messages or those kinds of things. But it will give them, you know, call and response answers. So you can uh, control, presumably you can control lights and those kinds of things inside the, the network. And you can also ask it questions like, how tall is Tom Cruise? Uh, I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> ask ask Big G. Uh, but the the idea is that you then have capabilities for guests when they are there and not have to worry about them being locked out of using and utilizing lights and other things when they're in your home, especially when you have like a guest for a couple of days. Okay, next. Jail professor find a formula to stick in to resolutions. And, you know, we are in that time of the year. I don't know, actually, if we are if this year count. On year past, this was the time of the year that you, my kids used to swim in the YMCA pre-COVID. So this was the time of the year that you need to calculate 10 minutes more so you can find where to park into the YMCA. That tend to end around January 25th. Okay, and by February, you can go again regular time and park. I don't know what is the effect of resolutions in this year with people not moving are they people sticking to them are going to they will be able to stick longer with them or not or what this not leaving not going out it's going to make a change regardless of that jail professor santos think he has a couple of or a simple formula to stick into these resolutions but i don't know well, so the so the combination is in essence uh, a a self kindness uh, kind of activity uh, combined with the smart uh, you know kind of uh, goal formula, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely type goal. And using the two of those together, they were able to see an improvement in people's uh, ability to achieve resolutions because uh, we know that you know less than 20% of people who make resolutions keep those resolutions. And so they're seeing some efficacy there, which is interesting. Francis? I wasn't, I wasn't sure I could operationalize what I read. You know, self-kindness. What is the self-kindness? What's the activity that generates that? And it, 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 is it even different for each person? So thought nice sentiment, but I, I couldn't figure out what to do with it. Yeah, I, I think this was probably some specific set of 
behavioral interventions that they applied during this particular work. And so I, I'm, I'm not sure it didn't um, identify that in the article, and I will mm-hmm. likely dig into the paper when I have a chance. I just didn't have a chance before our, uh, our recording today. Uh, but I am looking forward to digging under the hood and seeing what the, uh, the actual uh, you know, study uh, noted. But I'm presuming it was some specific set of behavioral interventions uh, that were around uh, self-kindness and then uh, applying the SMART uh, goal formula to it. Well, they could have just been observations. They, they, they start the, I forget what you call it, the SMART, not SMART start, but the fresh start. Um, that observation is true. There are more people who do marathons when they're 29, 39, 49, 59, the ninth year of the decade of their age than they do in the year, years before. And it's because they're crossing a, you know, they're crossing a Rubicon, they're crossing a, a big milestone, and they want to achieve this accomplishment before crossing the milestone. It's an observation, but there's not much you can do with it, you know, in, in, in practical terms. So I'd be interested to see if she's not just observing something as opposed to actually being able to translate it into steps one, two, and three. Um. I just want to jump in and say, I think there's, there, there are techniques that you could use for some of these things where part of it is, I think people are too strict with themselves. So when they fall off of their resolution, it's like, oh, I just totally, I, I, I didn't do my exercise today. It's all gone. Never mind. Blah, blah, blah. And giving you that kind of recognizing that we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes and to build that into your system. So I'll often use a stoplight system where like I have green is my goal resolution or my goal activity. I'm trying to have it. I'm trying to do. And then I have a yellow level. So if I'm trying to exercise 30 minutes a day, that's my green level. My yellow level is just 10 minutes. Or I now have this thing where, um, you know, I track every single day that I'm doing. I, I'm really big fan of don't break the chain. That really works well for me. Um, but some days I break the chain and I have this app called every day that actually lets me mark a day as a half day. So it's like a, like I didn't quite do it, but I didn't break it. And so now I have this rule is I have to keep a, a chain of at least five days. And if I do that and I happen to slip up, that's okay. And I don't actually break my chain as long as that only happens once. And then if it happens two days in a row on the second day, I can recover the chain by like just doing it. So it's like this way of giving myself, yeah, that self-kindness, this recognition that I'm not going to be perfect, but there's still a system in there that allows me to achieve my goals, if that makes sense. So, something about recognition that we're not perfect. Yeah, and I think that yeah, there's, many times... Go ahead, Francis. Sorry. There's, there's good science showing that if you you set up implementation intentions around these their failures, failures to achieve your objectives... And you say, if if I fail, then I'll see if I can hit the yellow level. And if I fail the yellow level, then I get a piece of chocolate so that I can forgive myself. <laughs> and if you set these things up ahead of time, they actually work. You know, if you rehearse what you're gonna do if you don't if you do break the chain and you decide ahead of time that here's the here's my forgiveness activity. You know, yeah. here's my my way of acknowledging the progress I've made, I write down all of the wins I've had, and this is a loss, yeah. So there's good science that says that if you, if you pre-rehearse failures like that, 
then they don't have the same effect as if you know, the same psychological effect. Yeah. I think it's useful that so I I pulled up the abstract to the paper which is self compassion increases self improvement motivation and the I, I believe this is the paper I may be getting this wrong now because I I was plunking around trying to find the right paper and it says hmm I'm not sure if this is the paper but this is really interesting nonetheless so the abstract of this particular paper uh, that is that I have in front of me uh, that was linked to from the article. It says, can treating oneself with compassion after making a mistake increase self-improvement motivation? In four experiments, the authors examined the hypothesis that self-compassion motivates people to improve personal weaknesses, moral transgressions, and test performance. Uh, so it says participants in a self-compassion condition compared to a self-esteem control condition and either no intervention or a positive distraction control condition expressed greater incremental beliefs about a personal weakness, uh, the reported greater motivation to make amends and avoid uh, repeating a recent moral transgression and two other experiments. Either way, the, these findings suggest that somewhat paradoxically, taking an accepting approach to personal failure may make people more motivated to improve themselves. So it's right on point there, Francis, that if we if we take self-kindness, that self-compassion approach actually can help. I wonder if this is self-selecting, the people in the, the study uh, were people like us who tend to be tougher on ourselves and therefore that, that negative self-talk actually competes with our overall productivity. Uh, that would be curious for me, like what they, how they uh, group together the experimental uh, study participants. Uh, but um, it's one of those things where I, I absolutely believe that the more we speak to ourselves negatively, uh, the less likely we are to be motivated to do things uh, that competes with our self-efficacy and ultimately we get less done. And so if we can increase this self-compassion and certainly self uh, positive self-talk, we're going to be better off. And uh, starting just a little bit with uh, being lenient on yourself once in a while so that you can get back on track, uh, as Trevor was noting with his, with his practice, that's really great. I love it. All right. Next up, Augusto. Our next, uh, our next story is came from um, Chrome and Bucks, and it is about how to get into really complicated extent to install the newest version of Firefox in your Chromebook. But if you want to have the options, we thought it was important for productivity. There is people who... I talk about browsers and we have talked about browsers and I have said for years, you should have two different browsers. Doesn't matter if your device is a Chromebook, one for play, one for work. So if you use Firefox as any of those two, uh, there is the link in there, how you can upgrade and install the new version of Firefox into your Chromebook. Fantastic. Next up. Ring doorbell now will support or now supports end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, so they they released that and the article come into, well, it's good, not good. What are the sacrifices that we are going to make? It is worth to try this out, yes or no. Yeah, I think it's worth trying out. I mean, why wouldn't you try to have Better, better and greater encryption uh, across your connected devices. These are things that are on your home and work networks. Uh, so why wouldn't you want them to have greater security? There's going to be impacts for for all of the uh, greatness of any uh, particular security imp uh, implementation. You're going to have some offset of convenience and uh, certainly more data being transited, which of course can bog down a network. So I'm I'm curious to see how this all works, but I'm I'm happy to see it come to pass. Well, our next news is it's an article from Make Use of 10 Reasons Why You Should Be 
using Signal in the last weeks has been all this um, comments about WhatsApp and the news and the change of term and condition, if it's going to share more information or less information with Facebook. And there is a significant amount of people who is moving out of WhatsApp, getting into Signal, getting into Telegram. Elon Musk talked about Signal, and there was even uh, some people who decide to be clever, go to the stock market and buy a company that they thought there was signal, so the price went from God knows how many cents to 60 bucks, and then, of course, crash and burn, because it was not. The company, the actual company on the penny stock needed to come and put a, a an official announcement, we are not the signal you're looking for, and, you know, go and, go and find another one. But anyways, um, this article comes into 10 things, why signal, you know, why it's free of charge, the transparency being open source, the total encryption that he has, you know, how uh, your number is secure with Signal that may not be in other places, you know, the biometric security options, the local storage that it produces, and um, you can protect the or the IP address that the device use, uh, screen protection, screen privacy, read and receive options, and finally, the popularity. Really, it was a seven, in my opinion, a seven reasons article. But still, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good article. If you want to understand a little bit more, you are confused about what, why this term of conditions affect you, or just simply jump the boat. You know, if you already jumped the boat, went to Signal, you want to understand more about it, it is a good article to read. Yeah, so people have to understand that WhatsApp is changing their privacy policy in order to let people know that they would be uh, collecting some data and sharing that with Facebook. Now, Facebook owns WhatsApp and Instagram. Facebook has been going through the process of of merging Instagram direct messages and Facebook Messenger in in this same way. And in order to do that, they're not sharing the messages themselves within WhatsApp, but some of the metadata like location and who you're messaging with and certain types of information around that, which of course caused uh, a little bit of a stir and people decided to jump ship from WhatsApp and run to Signal. Uh, That of course uh, crashed the Signal servers uh, these past couple of days, uh, which has been a little bit struggle for those of us who have been just happily using Telegram and Signal without the rest of you. uh, (laughs) And now of course have had a little bit of impact, but Signal will ramp up their servers and be able to uh, withstand the new users. And I think that's all good. Um, I think that, you know, we need, we need options out there in the market that aren't, um, you know, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Apple. And so I'm glad to see other options in the market gaining steam. Telegram, you know, just noted 400 million users. Uh, I think they'll probably, they probably just raised another 100 million in the last few days, just in, you know, not, that's probably not, that's egregious, but, um, but they probably have increased that number substantially in the last uh, week uh, from all the things that have been happening. And I think that's a good thing. So we should have options. The one thing I was going to add to that is uh, apparently WhatsApp uses the signal protocol uh, behind the scenes for encryption. Right. So um, the, my question is, can you actually, what's the tr- transition strategy? If you want to move over to signal from WhatsApp, can they interoperate in any way? Or is there a way that you can bounce to the server? Nope. 
None, nope. no, there's no connection whatsoever. <laughs> so the signal, the signal protocol, which is why the messages are not accessible. It is just the data around it. And so mm. using the using the signal protocol in Facebook's perspective means that they're just using that for the messages. Uh, so you cannot get access to the messages. Facebook cannot get access to those messages. Uh, I, I'm sure that there is some, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about the specific details about it, but it would be the messages themselves that would be, uh, you know, uh, not able to be turned out of the blob, basically extracted from the blob that's that's transited, uh, but all of the metadata around it is not. I mean, that's that's, uh, yeah. that's WhatsApp and proprietary, and so therefore they do know some of that data. And, and potentially your photos too, because your photos get saved to your photo roll and are not encrypted, and so then WhatsApp has access to any photo you get sent or any photo you send. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Especially with the new uh, the new uh, storage capabilities within WhatsApp to be able to to save storage, they've given you greater cap- capacity, which of course mm. probably uh, reduces security in some way, shape, or form. Not in any uh, grand perspective inside the app, but as soon as you take those photos and uh, save them to local storage outside of the app, you're increasing uh, that surface. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that you know it's it's interesting. I don't think it really has a great impact on the average consumer in terms of their understanding or care. Uh, but I think certainly for those of us who are paying attention, uh, a more secure messaging tool is great. This is a great opportunity to educate your family and friends, uh, circulate the articles and scare them a little bit so that they come over <laughs> to Telegram and Signal with you at this time. And it has many of the same features. You can make phone calls and you can do little video chats on Telegram and so on and so forth. And you're, you're creating a, a, a better, more secure experience with those family and friends. And that will ultimately help them. One less person hacked. All right. Final two stories uh, before we get to new tools. Well, then the next story is a story from Lifehacker. It is okay to delete people on social media. And I'm going to open the question before I give my opinion about this to Francis and Trevor and you uh, before I open my big mouth about this. I'm going to let you guys walk the, walk the blank before I jump on it. I'll I'll cover it for everybody, and I'll say that I feel like it's completely okay to delete people on social media. I have no problem with doing so. It's just like in a personal relationship. If I don't want to communicate with you anymore, I will I will just tell you I do not want to communicate with you anymore. And uh, an unfollow or a block uh, tells you in very clear terms that I no longer want to communicate with you. And uh, it's just, it happens to be I guess a little bit more public in that perspective, uh, but. You know, I, I think that relationships, healthy relationships, begin and end, and uh, and so why wouldn't those be possible in social media? As I, you know, I, as I train small businesses on this subject, I always say that social media is like any other social technology, and therefore human principles apply, human social principles apply. So if I have a problem with what you're doing with me, then I should communicate that as a human to another human, and if you don't abide by the social compact or the social pact that we've created, then uh, there needs to be repercussions. I need to be able to uh, know that I can disconnect, especially if it's unhealthy for me. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I think it's actually healthy. It's part of in the same way. And I agree with you in the same way that you do it in, in real life, you know, you, you need to do it in social media and you need to get over that. Well, what if, and, and, and the reasons that the, Reasons people give to themselves why they should not do it. It's healthy. It's good. And there is people who need to be blocked as news and out of your social media life. All right. Who's going to take devil's advocate? 
Uh, I'm not going to take devil's advocate, but I'll go one step further and go into the, it can be healthy just to remove people who you don't have conflict with, but you just are no longer connected with. I think the, that social media creates this awareness drag on us where we're suddenly aware of uh, uh, social connections that we normally would have just let go of. And so that just creates a drag on our mind. We open up social media. Oh, yeah, that person. I haven't thought about that person in a long time. I'm not really connecting to them anymore. I don't care about their news. Why are they still in my feed? And they still are because it can be socially unacceptable to say no or something like that. But, yeah, this whole cleansing of letting go and letting relationships fade and disappear is useful. And to get rid of that awareness drag, because I think that awareness drag drags us down because now – it just saps a little bit of awareness each time that we can't put where we really want to put our awareness and our focus. I'll make an even more aggressive statement, which is that you don't need to accept every connection request that you receive on social media either. That even people you know and even like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to accept their connection requests on LinkedIn or on Facebook or on other other platforms that have that kind of uh, mutual acceptance uh, modality. Uh, I, I just don't. I don't need to be connected to people that I knew 30 years ago and uh, and we have not kept in touch and we aren't going to keep in touch. So why do I care about seeing their, you know, random pictures of their life, uh, you know, scroll through my feed. It's not providing me with any greater value in life. And there, there are certain circumstances. Actually, I, I reconnected recently on Facebook, of all things, because uh, it's not my preferred platform. Uh, I reconnected with a, a friend I had in, uh, uh, I guess, elementary school, maybe uh, middle school, uh, junior high school in New York City type of, uh, of uh, some people call it middle school, some people call it junior high school. Either way. Uh, and it was, it's really lovely to reconnect with someone that I had lost uh, touch with, and I probably will establish, reestablish that relationship in a close um, sense. But if I didn't have that belief, pff, there's no way that I'm accepting a, a friend request from somebody that uh, is going to just basically create more drag on my system. Every individual that I have connected to me is another individual that I have to maintain and manage uh, around, and I want to because I want to have those those close bonds and those close relationships, and that means that I can't have all the relationships. I can only have so many in order to have yeah. uh, a vibrant life that isn't over, overburdened. And I have a lot of siblings, and that means I will probably at some point have a lot of nieces and nephews. So I got to manage. <laughs> I got to. I got to keep it. I got <laughs> to keep the reins on things with all the kids in my family. Okay. Uh, last but not least, Augusto, what's our final story this week? It's an article from the New Republic called "Against." Productivity in a pandemic. Why we have been told by bosses, business app, by ourselves to optimize the new time to get things done. And it was a really interesting article, or at least I enjoy it a lot. Uh, you know, on I think all of us got a great opportunity with the pandemic. And I've been arguing since September last year that we need to look into uh, the pandemic has brought terrible things. Yes. But there is also brought great things. And one of the things that was interesting was looking at people saying, Oh, now I have this time and I need to do more and get more. And, and I, as a productivity person, as a coach, I wonder, wait, do you want to do more of what is important to you? Or you want to do more so you can get the time. And one of the things a lot of people discover was their 
agendas and their calendars and their to-do list were full of stuff that they didn't care for, that were not making their life better. And because you are at home or because you are now working at home and you have more time, that doesn't mean that you need to get that time fill up with anything. It may give you the chance, maybe for the first time ever, to reclaim some time, some healthy time, some free time, some quiet time. So it has been really interesting to, you know, look at this. So look at what it is. And the article make a couple of good points. You know, hey, understand what are you, what are the rules that you're going to put for this? You know, what are the things that you are okay with? And what are the things you don't? You know, hey, not every call need to be a video conference. Some of them, it's okay to turn off the camera. You know, it's not all of them. You don't need to be available to, to Slack 24-7. Come and set those those rules and don't think that because we are in the pandemic, now we all need to learn how to make bread and cook. Okay, even even if your Samsung will tell you what is on the fridge, as we were discussing early, make sure that you can tell the Samsung back, nope, tonight we have pizza. I'm going to speak out of two sides of my brain, which is on on one side, I see, uh, you know, because I pay attention to the economy uh, just generally for work purposes, I see uh, payrolls, bloodletting, I see uh, increasing uh, you know, unemployment uh, throughout this pandemic, and we're going to see more and more of that happen. And when we have, you know, 750,000 and 800,000 and a million people who are unemployed week over week filing for unemployment, I can see how, uh, you know, employers uh, kind of get greedy and they see this as an opportunity to be able to eke out more. This happened in the last economic recession. It happened, you know, in the prior economic recession where we uh, we see uh, employees worried about losing their jobs and therefore want to ramp up productivity and therefore look for ways in which they can show themselves to be more valuable to their employers. So on one side of this, I, I very much feel for the people who uh, want to be more productive because they feel fear um, from you know, the the ecosystem from the work culture and the eco- economic impacts of that. On the other side of that, I fully resonate with this quotation from the article. This m- mindset is the natural endpoint of America's hustle culture, the idea that every nanosecond of our lives must be commodified and pointed toward profit and self-improvement. And in a literal pandemic, as millions of us are trying to practice home isolation while also attending to the needs of our families and communities, the obscenity of pretending that work and the self are the only things that matter or even exist becomes harder to ignore. And uh, it's just a, a great distillation of, of that kind of absurdity that we're all dealing with. But at the same time, I also find the article's perspective that um, productivity, again, is one of these uh, undefined uh, you know, blobs. We, we talk about productivity, and I try to always use the term personal productivity or individual productivity because what you define as productive is not the same as what I define as productive. I think that sitting with my thoughts is productive. And I think that there is something about intentionality that has to do with productivity that is what other people would consider time-wasting. And so with this malleable, amorphous definition that we frequently have around productivity, I find um, kind of unfortunate because this person clearly is feeling something about being put upon by being more productive, and I don't feel that. And 
That means all of our experiences are so very different in the context of this pandemic, and we have to take that into account as we all move forward. And there is just as much self-compassion as compassion and kindness being uh, extended outward toward others uh, throughout this. Because you know, if I was an essential worker that had to be out there working every day, that's stressful. On top of the fact that I need to be more productive so that my employer sees that, you know, sees my productivity, and therefore um, doesn't want to let me go when uh, things get rough uh, when it comes to cash flow. So I see it, I see it in both ways. I really do. I I, I have great um, you know concern for everybody in this uh, in this circumstance. Yeah, I thought the article responded to this notion of productivity as, uh, in terms of it being about hyperwork, but the response seemed to me to be saying, "Here's what you should do instead." I don't think there's a just like you're saying, Ray. I don't think there's a should. It's not a shouldn't or a should. I think the the way to think about productivity in these times is you are aware of where you are at any point in time and you're able to generate choices and you always make the best choice. Whether that choice is to work, rest, exercise, or just veg out, whatever it might be, play, whatever it might be. I think that's the, that's the, that's for me is the new, if there's a new definition of productivity, that's it. It's more about it's more about being present, having choices, and making the choices than it is going from one should to another should. Personal rant. That. See how I see how I brought us all circled back around to how words matter and productivity in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I yes, didn't you did. Uh, Tre- Trevor, Trevor, on purpose. You got a thought. <laughs> I was just going to say is I think one of the uh, dangers is that fear and stress kill your productivity. And so you can get into this downward cycle where you feel like you need to be more productive. We're actually all probably less productive just because of the stress of COVID, of being locked in our houses, all that. You know, some of us are uh, affected more with that than others, but we're all affected somewhat by all the stress. And that is reducing our productivity. And then when you try to amp up your productivity, especially if it's a fear-based where I might lose my job, I might do things like that you can actually get into this place where you're just like trudging and you're, and you're, and you're going into this downward spiral because the more productive you try to be, you're not really relaxing. So I think that um, like Francis said, the, the, the making the decision to step away to whether you call it productivity or not, I would say to just not be productive, to relax, to reset, to refresh yourself. That actually is better for your productivity than to trying to be productive all the time, especially in these times of high stress and high fear. Yeah, again, I'll go back to this, like, uh, to produce, you know, being productive is to produce. Producing is what you decide to produce. And so uh, being not productive is what you're saying. And that's just, again, it's just semantics. Uh, but But I see that as... I see that as producing when I when I sit down and I meditate, you know, and I've had a very long term multi-decade, you know, meditation practice. When I sit down to meditate, that is productive for me. I am producing a state of being uh, that allows me to reduce anxiety, to create greater clarity, to focus my thoughts, all of those kinds of things. Uh, Production doesn't have to mean uh, outward, uh, you know, output. You don't need to see it in order to understand that I'm being productive. Uh, spending time with a spouse or partner, um, that can be productive because it keeps a happy home. Uh, you know, if you, and, and that doesn't require you to, to 
build something or do something it's just being with a person you know it's like holding the hand of your loved one as they pass away there is nothing that has to be done it's just being how can you not consider that to be productive and so the uh, this is in, in agreement with you trevor i think um all told which is to say that we all need to take into account uh, what what values we have, and I don't mean values in terms of morals, but values that we place on the things in our world, and whether those values are worth us putting time, tension, energy, and otherwise finances into, and making those kinds of choices as Francis talked about. And I think ultimately that is what allows for kind of that Socratic good life. And uh, And so that's what interests me and intrigues me always about personal productivity and certainly the technologies that we talk about. And so thank you all, gentlemen, for the uh, stories of the week. We are going to go into our uh, new se- our next segment, uh, the new tools of the week. And so in essence, Augusto and I come across many personal productivity tools and services each week, and we'd like to share a couple of them that we come across and we think you might like uh, to use or to at least learn more about. We invite our panelists to also share a tool that they maybe use or know about that you might also find interesting. And so with that, this is New Tools of the Week. And so I will start us off with my new tool of the week. Again, playing on the Thesaurus Day theme, I thought I would show you all a tool that I actually really use and enjoy using. And uh, it is called Hemingway. And so Hemingway is this really simple application uh, that does something really profoundly important and powerful. So what you can do is you could take any amount of text and just paste it into the Hemingway application. And uh, once you do paste it in here, I think I just, there we go. Um, So let's say we paste this in here. It actually automatically highlights text in different colors and tells you whether or not you've written it well. It actually grades it. It tells you how many words and it gives you more statistics about that particular item. And you can go ahead and edit the document that you're writing right here. I use this all the time for email because I tend to write really long emails <laughs> and the sentences are too long. And uh, while I've used multiple add-ins for uh, Gmail and other tools, this is just a really great place for me to be able to throw them, especially when I'm going across multiple email clients. Or if you're just writing a document and you want it to just be a little bit you know, clearer, a little bit pithier, uh, just throwing this into Hemingway. It's free and there's a desktop application as well. And so that's Hemingway app and it's very, very helpful. Okay, who's next? Augusto. What's your tool this week? My tool this week is an application for the iPhone and the iPads called Scanner Pro. And there has been a lot of evolution with the cameras and the phones, but Scanner Pro has been an app that has been on my phone for an incredible time. You can save them there. They save directly to Dropbox. They save to... Uh, iCloud, you can scan multiple documents on black and white and color. They will put it together as a file, as a PDF. You can send it. You can make annotations. It's been uh, incredible. Not only that, it has the ability that when you take the picture, it do it shows you the border of the paper. So people, if you do it properly, don't know that you're doing that with the camera and you don't need to get the, you know, when we had this, when we were buying the house, the last house we were scanning some documents and I, my wife sent the, the picture of the document that they were asking. It was a two page document and the 
person responds saying, sorry, it cannot be taken with a phone. You need to find a scanner. And so she called me and said, well, what I can do? And I said, oh, let me pull my phone. And I took it with Scanner Pro, sent it to the, oh, thank you very much for using your scanner. That was fantastic. So it is an incredible application and really powerful. Fantastic. I am going to check out Scanner Pro for my iPad. All right, next up, uh, I think it's you, Francis. Francis, what's your tool this week? And you are mute, the first one of the day. <laughs> God, busted. Save my time. And it's a, an app that is connected to uh, your smartphone. It allows you to track your time in retrospect. So it's how did you spend the last horrible number of minutes since the app last locked its screen. So you can't, it, it pops up, pop up. You can't use your app unless you deliberately tell it, tell the program how you spent the last however number of minutes since the last time the screen was locked, which makes it just a, a perfect fit for natural behavior. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to set up a reminder. I've, I've tried all of those, and they really haven't worked all that well. But this one has allowed me to, I don't know, double, triple the quality of my time tracking. All of a sudden, I be Became, became precise, whereas before it was all about guessing and trying to recreate days based on my calendar of activities, which has never really worked very well. So this is a big winner. So it's whoever thought of this, you know, actually said, how can we fit into people's natural sets of behaviors? How can we fit into their existing habit pattern? And that, I think, is a winner in every case. And so this is uh, an Android app available in the Google Play Store only. So there's not an, there's okay. not an iOS. There's no iOS. Yeah. And okay. uh, it's it's free. There's a free version, and then there is a professional version uh, that I think when we last looked at it, it was uh, just a couple bucks uh, per month. Let's see here. Uh, what's the, Three bucks a month. Here we are. So the free version is up to nine activities and limited history, and then with professional, it's $3 USD per month if you bill it annually or $5 per month otherwise, uh, but then you get unlimited activities, unlimited history, data export, calendar integration, and a custom date picker. Uh, I think that that's good that they left that last because <laughs> it is the least valuable of the other features that are in the pro version. Wonderful. Thank you, Francis. And last but not least, Trevor, what's your uh, pick this week? Uh, so my pick is uh, Tusklist. Um, and this is basically a new app. Uh, it's still kind of under development by this guy, Art. And it's designed to help you go through your getting things done weekly reviews uh, more efficiently. And so what it does is it guides you through each step. So you kind of have a guided step, which tells you, each step to follow. And then it has a timer that lets you time that. So you can kind of see which steps are taking you a long time, which steps are um, uh, are quick. And then you can also start calibrating how long it takes for you to do your weekly reviews. Um, and then he has different processes. So you can actually set up different types of reviews and break it down in different ways. So it's very, uh, very young app, uh, but I thought it was uh, interesting to go through. I, I really like the workflow process that he uses. Fantastic. And so uh, the pricing looks like it's $10 USD per month. And you can... Uh, the pricing pay. is really interesting. I have never seen this approach. And I, I, I could, you know, it's really interesting. It's 10 bucks a month. But if you do your review, you will pay less. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's incentivizing you to go ahead and uh, keep up the good work, but also to keep using their app. (laughs) Exactly. Fantastic, fantastic. Great new tools of the week this week. And uh, so with that, that brings us to nearly the end of the show, gentlemen. This has been a really great time, and I appreciate everybody being here. And so with that, uh, we're going to say goodbye to you all. Francis, how can folks keep up to date in terms of what you're doing out there in the world what's the what's the best way for people to keep up in touch with you i think we've lost francis for a moment there okay we're gonna turn to trevor trevor we're gonna (laughs) gonna close you out first uh trevor how can people keep up to date in terms of the great work you're doing out there in the world of productivity yeah certainly so people can uh if they want to listen to me on uh twitter i'm at, at fast fedora that's Fedora hat. Um, and of course, my uh, app is called Day Optimizer. So they can go to dayoptimizer.com or the Day Optimizer app. And in general, across all the socials, I'm either Fast Fedora, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Twitter, all that Fast Fedora. And then Day Optimizer is the all the other socials. Wonderful. And for those of you who don't uh, know, uh, you know that we run Personal Productivity Club, and uh, and inside Personal Productivity Club, uh, we're excited to announce. Uh, we'll probably make it public tomorrow morning, and I'll post to let everybody know. But we've created a Day Optimizer channel, a group inside of Personal Productivity Club dedicated to Day Optimizer and Trevor's work. So go out there if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, those of you who are watching live, you have to wait till tomorrow. But those of you who are listening to the podcast, uh, we'll have already made this live, and so you'll be able to find the uh, public channel, the channel inside of Personal Productivity Club dedicated to Day Optimizer. And thanks, Trevor, for launching and running that group inside of Personal Productivity Club. Hope it's uh, useful to everybody. Yeah, and if anyone has any questions about time management, jump in that uh, channel, and I'll be happy to answer them. Fantastic. Great to have you, Trevor. Yeah, thank you. Francis, how can people keep up to date with yes, the sir. work you're doing out there? Sure. Well, the big event that we have coming up is the time Task Management and Time Blocking Summit coming up in, on March 4th to 6th, 2021. And that's a uh, info. And so we're hoping to have somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 speakers. We're losing you a little bit. So your uh, timeblockingsummit.info for folks to be able to learn more about the time management, task management, and time blocking summit that's happening. What's the date again? March 4th to 6th, 2021. Fantastic. Fantastic. Always wonderful to have you, Francis. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Take care. Whoops. <laughs> All right. And then there were two. Augusto, thank you very much for joining me as always and helping make anything but idle happen. It's my pleasure. It's always my pleasure. Wonderful. All right, gentlemen. And uh, hello, uh, those of you who have stuck with us to the end. Uh, we have reached uh, the close of this episode and our productivity and technology news this week if there's any stories we missed you can head over to our contact page and uh, go to anything but idle.com click contact you can tweet or dm us at anything but idle and uh, you can also uh, leave a question or comment directly on the show page so if you go to anything but idle.com forward slash zero four zero you'll be taken to the episode page you can comment there as well on that episode page you'll find our show notes with links to all the stories we covered we sometimes have some extra stories that we couldn't cover in the episode we place those there as well we put our new tools of the week uh, we have a text transcript both a text one that's right there on the page just click that read more link or you can uh, download the pdf and therefore read it um, you know kind of 
track along with the audio. It's machine generated, so it's not going to be perfect, but it's good enough to be able to uh, run through if you need to. If this is your first time watching the live stream, uh, feel free to subscribe so you can learn about uh, upcoming weekly shows that we have here. And uh, feel free to hit the like, uh, the thumbs up icon. That's, that helps us grow our uh, listening and watching community. So thank you for doing that. And uh, feel free to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find all of those at anythingbutidle.com forward slash subscribe or just click on subscribe when you're on the anythingbutidle.com website. And you'll see instructions to go ahead and uh, follow us and get episodes downloaded for free uh, each week or every show that we put out. Uh, With that, see you all next time here on Anything But Idle, and here's to your productive life.